Hey everyone, and welcome back to Ancient Tools for Modern Living. I'm your host, Sipora Gerson Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and certified yoga therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. So if you're new around here, I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in. I'm really grateful for your presence and um, just to let you know that this podcast is really dedicated to promoting and supporting mental health in all stages from awareness to recovery through practical yoga, lifestyle, and spiritual growth. So what that means is that There is no right way to recover from a mental illness that what works for one person does not always work for somebody else. Um, The information that you receive here is by no means a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or your doctor. And I like to think about the information that's presented here as sort of a buffet of sorts. So you, um, if there's something that really interests you, you can sort of take a lot of it and you can go and you can read and learn more about it. If there's something that you're just sort of, you know, sort of interested in trying, you know, you can try a little bit and then maybe you know, put it down and pick it back up later. Or, you know, maybe there's something that doesn't interest you at all. And that's totally fine as well. So in any sort of mental health type of treatment, we need to remember that to be the most effective, it has to sort of be presented in a holistic way. Because like I said, everybody is different and everybody's body and mind is going to respond to things differently. The most important thing is that you seek out and you get the help that you need and you find somebody who you can have a good relationship um, because that relationship is really one of the most important things. So today we are going to be talking about a topic that is actually really, really, really near and dear to my heart. Um, it's, it's a really important topic. We're going to be talking about body image and self-acceptance. I'm going to be sharing with you my interview that I did with um, Amber Carnes. She is the founder um, of Body Positive Yoga. She is a really well-known leader and teacher in the Body Positive Yoga movement. I thought she was a really important voice to bring on the show to really sort of bring some of the truths into the light about our culture and how we behave towards people who have different body sizes, different body shapes, different body um, types. I mean, there's really a lot of negative messages that we receive from the our greater culture about um, bodies, especially women's bodies. And I just thought it was really important to have this conversation and talk about how yoga can provide a space where accessibility and inclusivity can happen. So I just wanted to share with you quickly um, some eating disorder statistics. We're not going to be talking specifically about eating disorders today. However, they do affect millions of people in this country. Um, At least 30 million people of all ages and genders suffer from an eating disorder. So I think historically we associate eating disorders with predominantly women. And although that may be true it can affect anybody of, of any of any gender. And every 62 minutes, at least one person dies as a direct result from an eating disorder. And eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness out there. 
So I thought that was really interesting and, and disturbing all in the same time. So just to give you a little bit of background information about Amber, she's been practicing yoga for over 15 years. And in 2010, she decided that she wanted to take her practice to a deeper level and begin training with Anna Pittman of the breathing space. A few months in, she decided that she wanted to share her yoga with the world and that she wanted to help others who were in non-conforming bodies Fat bodies, old bodies, stiff bodies, or just bodies that get ignored by the yoga world to make yoga work for them. So her passion is to teach from a place where yoga is accessible to everyone, regardless of size, shape, and or ability. Her teaching focuses on alignment and mindful transitions while encouraging students to honor the inherent intelligence and wisdom of their body. She infuses her classes with the foundational principles of inclusivity, agency, consent, body positivity, and self-acceptance. She's a huge fan of yoga in non-yoga places and can often be found teaching in parks, libraries, and other non-studio type settings. She co-created Yoga for All Teacher Training with Diane Bondi to impart the message of inclusivity and accessibility to teachers all over the world. She's based in Richmond, Virginia, and teaches both classes and retreats in many different locations. She also created Body Positive Clubhouse, which is an interactive online community full of invaluable resources. So I am really excited to bring you this interview, and we are going to talk a lot about Amber's expert perspective on how poor self-esteem, poor body image, and disordered eating has evolved into what I describe as a major public health crisis. And she's going to be sharing her way of teaching and working with individuals to reclaim their power, their internal resources, and find peace within their bodies. So again, I think this is a really important discussion to have because I think as a mental health advocate and practitioner, clinician. It's really part of my work to help others let go of shame and move towards greater self-acceptance. So without further ado, here is my conversation. Well, hi, Amber. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, I just think that you're doing some really amazing work in the world, and I I wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit about the work that you do. Awesome. Thank you so much. So we'll just kind of dive right in. I wanted to first explore just this idea of poor self-esteem, poor body image, and disordered eating as a public health crisis. I mean, that's how I define it. And uh, what are your thoughts about this? Um, yeah, um, that's like a big question. You know, <laughs> I I think that there, there are definitely a lot of moving parts to that. But to me, I think something that's really at the core of a lot of this is diet culture. You know, I think we grow up watching our, uh, the women in our lives diet and be dissatisfied with their bodies and constantly talk about calories and weight loss and weight gain and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that body image issues are just part of life and it's just normal. And I think that's one of the things that's really insidious about it is it sort of sneaks up on us and we just think like you know if we're dissatisfied with our bodies or we are always you know chasing this thin ideal or whatever like 
that's very validated by society. That's very um, much a part of the like American female experience. You know, I think one of the one of the ways that I know in my heart and have experienced myself that we can be free is to um, break free of diet culture. And so I know that one of the ways that diet culture really steals from us is that we we get this sort of false sense of belonging and community from it, right? Like if you go to any workplace in America and you see a group of women standing around talking, like what are they talking about? They're talking about who was good and who was bad on their diet and who, you know, ate the brownie at lunch and who resisted and who went to the gym and who didn't and who lost weight and who didn't and all that stuff. And from my perspective as a feminist, like this is sort of one of the traps that patriarchy sets for us is that our job in life is to this beauty myth thing, like keeps us in our place as women. And like, we can't really do anything too amazing or like whatever. If our whole obsession and job in life is to, constantly be trying to make ourselves smaller and be obsessed with food and weight and diet and all that kind of stuff. And we think that like, it's also uh, a place where we have community because we are bonding with our sisters over these issues. Right. And we're self-deprecating and, and we joke about it and all this. And, you know, that is one of the things that like, I think is so sneaky about it is like, we are craving real community. We do need this bond between us. Like we seek that out as human beings. And like, if you think about it, like what's one of the reasons that Weight Watchers is so successful? Like they build that in, like, you know, we do need that support. But when we, when the thing that we're supporting each other over is the fact that we're not good enough and there's something about us that needs to be fixed, that really does a number on our psyches and on our, you know, our self-worth that if we're constantly chasing this ideal that's held up for us, that means we're not whole, we're not well, we're not good enough. Like there's lots of messages that are there that maybe aren't always overtly said, but that are logical conclusions of like what we do to ourselves through this process. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I love yeah. how, I love how you talk about that. And it almost sounds like that, you know, divide and conquer mentality. So if we can be consumed and, you know, sort of redirected to just focus on, you know, how to fix ourselves and change ourselves, then, you know, then the patriarchy can continue to exercise power and control. So it's like yeah. this diversion and, and very deceptive in the process. So yeah. I, I love how you talk about that. That's, that's very yeah. interesting. So how did you, I mean, can you share your story about how you kind of arrived at a place of self-acceptance and body positivity? Because I think, you know, for a lot of people, that's a place that we have to arrive at and we have to be ready to kind of stand there you know, and, and really arrive. And so I'm just curious how you were able to arrive at that place. Yeah, that was a long journey. I hope you have some time because <laughs> honestly, um, you know, it's funny, like that you say, I mean, it's not funny. Like it's, 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 I think good insight and it resonates with me that that's like a place that you have to arrive. So like, no one's going to go to a workshop with either of us and be done like, and then be like, okay, now I can do self-acceptance. It is a 
as overused as this word is, journey. And it's not linear. It's, you know, it's not a straight line. It's more like this. And you're going to go back here and then you're going to come over here and it's a scribble. You know, for me, it was very much that. And I, I, I think when I first became aware of like that self-acceptance was a thing and that there were like fat people who were okay with their bodies and like were cool with who, with who they are as people and who weren't dieting and pursuing weight loss all the time. Like when I became aware of that, I was like, okay, they're different from me. They have some like thing that I don't have some self-esteem gene or something like there's some way that, that like they're different. They're, that's not something that's possible for me. And I think a lot of people kind of start out at that place. And I mean, there was a lot of factors that went into it. You know, I, I, I had a really normal childhood around food. I didn't have parents that were breathing down my neck to lose weight or that I'd never received these like strong messages as a kid that my body was bad or any of that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I was a teenager or hit puberty, actually, like I was pretty fully like developed and had a, a woman's body at like age 12. Like I had C cup breasts and, you know, I started to, and then the male gaze ruined everything, right? Like, so I became aware because of the harassment I would get on the street by like adult men when I was 12, I became aware of my body for the first time as something that was maybe bad or wrong or needed to be called attention to in some kind of way. When before then it was like, I was just a kid that like ran around and played softball and did all this different stuff. And I wasn't ashamed of it. And my parents loved me and like all that stuff. I think there was some divide that happened there where like before I was in my body and it was just me. And then I had this sort of like awareness at all times of how I was being perceived, which is what the male gaze is. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so oh, yeah. Yes. And, and I think like, um, through my teenage years, you know, I, I, dealt with that. I, I feel these like big gaps in memory about my body in my teenage years. Um, I did like, well, we'll skip a bunch of stuff, but I, when I, <laughs> when I was in my like early twenties, um, so I wasn't like dieting when I was a teenager. Um, I feel like I sort of like was pretending that this stuff wasn't happening and I was just up here because I've always been sort of precocious and smart and like accomplished a lot of things and I'm very driven. And so it was easy to like stay here. When I was in my early twenties, I don't really know what prompted it, but I decided like to go on this big weight loss project. I was going to like fix it once and for all. So I went to the gym, I was at Weight Watchers, all this different stuff. And of course, you know, I did lose a significant amount of weight with that diet because diets work temporarily. And, um, then I gained it back all plus more, which is 95% of people's experience with diets. So I definitely wasn't alone there, but of course I was motivated to try again and again, cause this is what it's set up to do is to blame us and, and not blame like the diet, but to get us to re become repeat customers. So I bought into that and I continued to try and I went to this gym and I was working out there and the trainer that I was working with was like, you should do yoga because it doesn't really count as exercise, but you can burn calories like on your rest day. And I was like, cool, I'll do that. <laughs> so I went to yoga studio and like, I don't remember anything about what we did in the first class. Um, I do remember being the only fat person there, but when we left, I like got my car and started driving down the road 
And then the like soundtrack started back up, you know, the one in your head that tells you you're stupid and ugly and fat and no one likes you and all that stuff. And I realized that that chatter had come back and like that meant that it had stopped for a few minutes. And I was like, whoa, that's new. Cause that hadn't happened since I was like a little kid. And so I was like, that's real interesting. So I decided to go back. I was like, maybe it was just a weird day or maybe it was the yoga class. So I was able to repeat the data from this experiment. <laughs> and I really found that yoga um, helped me to regulate internally in a way that I had never experienced. I couldn't have articulated it then, but, but I think what I know what was happening was I was fully like present in my body for the first time since I was a little kid. And so embodied movement is sort of like my special magic bullet (laughs) to like bring me home and like have me be in my body in a way that, um, feels safe and feels like integrated and good. And, you know, in a body that society has said is like worthless and, you know, the opposite of what's desirable, like for most of us that have been given that message, like the body is a painful place to be. We don't want to hang out there. We want to stay up here we want to try to subdue or control it through dieting or through whatever. And so for me, yoga was really a gift to like be able to come to this place of neutrality. Like I I wasn't using it as any sort of self acceptance tool, but it snuck up on me because I was able to start like perceiving my body as some place that I could have a positive experience and not as something that I was like mad at or struggling against all the time because I was like, I was like mad that my body wasn't losing weight. I was doing what they said I should it wasn't really, you know, happening the way that it should. And everyone else is doing the paleo diet and losing all this weight. And I did it and it, and I didn't, and I was mad. And, but then I would go to yoga and I would feel good and I would like have a positive experience. So there was this cognitive dissonance that happened where I, I was kind of at war with myself in my mind because, and at the same time, I was discovering the, world of self-acceptance and fat acceptance online. So, um, I was on live journal and there was all these like fashion community plus size fashion communities on live journal. And some of them were very like, you know, you post your outfit or whatever. And some of them were full of like these radical political people that talked about the body as if it was like something more than just what it was and that, you know, it was all through this intersectional feminist lens. And it was kind of my first exposure to the fact that like, there's this system that's set up to keep you where you're at and like diet culture and all that stuff as a concept was like being introduced to me. And so I think it's interesting because, and I'm sure you've heard this experience from other people that like, I think with this journey of like self-acceptance or body peace, like there's these very, clear like stops along the journey that you have to hit. And like for a lot of people that I know, um, who are fat women, which is the experience that I come from, like fashion is sort of their gateway drug, right? Because we can look at other people who look like us and we can have that moment where we admire them and like, Oh, I want to be them. And then you realize that they're in a fat body and you're like, Oh my God, what? Like, how does that, uh, it doesn't jive with like the, subconscious that you've built that there's like a better body and a worse body and you're in the worst one. Right. So we can start to like unlearn some of that stuff about what a beautiful 
body looks like or what a, a person worthy of admiration looks like. But at the same time, you know, I, I definitely said this a lot and I hear this a lot from people that I work with and in my workshops and stuff that like, look, I accept everyone else's bodies and I know that like, they're totally fine. Like I don't judge them. I don't think that they need to change anything, but I need to lose weight. I need to change these things before I can accept myself. So like there was that position. And I think at the same time, I, it was slowly being chipped away at through yoga, through, um, you know, I did CrossFit for several years, which was a very, uh, empowering, like positive thing for me because I found weightlifting through that. And that was another way of me moving my body and having a positive experience and feeling very like powerful and that my body could be like this ally and doing these cool projects and things that made me feel like a badass. And then at the same time I was still dieting and I was still like, so it was very much this like war in my mind and it was difficult to be in that place. And I think what keeps us in that place, um, even if we sort of intellectually understand self-acceptance, we intellectually understand about diet culture and that it, you know, we know the truth about the diet industry and like that it permanent weight loss is not possible for 95% of people according to science and all this stuff. But this magical thinking that we have about being thin and what that will mean for us kind of keeps us stuck. And it kept me stuck for a long time. And I definitely have had this conversation with lots of people, you know, people have written about it. The, the stuff that I think about is like, um, Kate Harding wrote an essay about the fantasy of being thin and Mara Glatzel has written about this too. And, um, that, that we have this magical thinking that like when we become thin, like the thoughts we have are not when, when I'm thin, I'll look good in a bikini or when I'm thin, I'll look good in a pair of shorts. The thoughts are more like when I'm thin, I'll be five foot 10 and I won't have freckles. Like I remember that was like from Maria Hornbacher's memoir. She talks about like when I had lost a few pounds, I would be five foot 10 and I would live in this New York apartment and my husband would bring me a flavored coffee and right. Like, and everybody has what that version is. You know, my thin person was like very wealthy and had, uh, didn't have to worry about money and, you know, ha was tall. I don't know why, but I would suddenly become tall, um, and would wear like these like pencil skirts. Like it was a very specific image. Um, and it also, I think they're never sort of, um, it's sort of like, there's this whole separate you that isn't you. Like Kate Harding talked about her thin person was really outdoorsy, but she hates the outdoors. She doesn't want to go camping and she doesn't want bugs. She wants air conditioning and like, <laughs> what, what is this thing? And so I think like we have this magical thinking that like once we lose this weight, then our life will really begin and we'll be this person that we have fantasized about. And the thing is like a lot of people have lost weight and become thin temporarily or not. And sad news is when they get there, you're still you, <laughs> you still have your personality and your brain and your privilege or lack thereof and your circumstances in life. And you still have to deal with the world and deal with other people and all that stuff. You're just in a, a different kind of body. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, we all like, I think there's this pervasive thing of like, if I'm thin, I won't have any problems and I'll be happy and I'll feel good about myself. 
I know plenty of people that are thin that are miserable and hate their bodies. And like, you know, it's not a magic bullet, but it's very difficult, I think, to come to that place where you're ready to like accept that. Right. Well, it so, sounds, it's, it's just so, I mean, there's so many layers to it and, and yeah. you're, it's, it, there's a lot of complexities and, um, I was smiling, um, when you were talking about the, your experience of going to your yoga class and, and the reason I was, you know, grinning from ear to ear was because that was the part when I heard your interview with Jay Brown, that was uh-huh. the part that really stuck with me was mm-hmm. that, that time you went to the yoga class and you got back in the car and you noticed you had this sort of, you know, epiphany that all of that mental chatter had stopped, had quieted. Mm -hmm. And so this, you know, this yoga class offered you this respite from that, that internal narrative. And I just, that really, you know, resonated with me um, because I, I have the same experience, you know, mm-hmm. when I go to yoga, when I practice, even if it's just a pranayama practice, a breathing practice, I, that is the time where that, where I can shift my relationship to whatever thoughts are coming in and out of that, that field of awareness, that mental cognitive space. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was powerful. Those were powerful words that really that really oh, yeah. stuck with me. Thank you. Yeah, it was powerful experience. You know, it really made an impression on me. And the thing that I realized was like awareness of how we're being perceived, that male gaze thing, you know, that was absent. Like I was integrated. I was like here. I wasn't thinking about what people were thinking about me or any, I was in the present moment, like, which is what, you know, one of the tools that yoga gives us. And to me, that was that was a really powerful place to be. And I think the reason that it's been such a big deal has been an embodied movement. You know, weightlifting has done this for me as well, that like movement coupled with that consciousness of like really being there, not hiding, not in the past, not thinking about the future, not comparing, but like just being there and doing the thing like that has made all the difference for me. And I think ultimately like, you know, there were two parts to the, to being able to get to that place where I thought like those people are different. I won't be that person. One was, you know, having this positive physical experience of my body becoming like physically fluent and knowing that this was a place that I could hang out that was good and safe and I could do cool things and feel like a badass. That was like really important. And at the same time, reprogramming all of this, in my mind, which is, you know, what society does a number on us, diet, culture, patriarchy, white supremacy, all that stuff like programs us to believe that there's one correct type of body, which is young, thin, white, able-bodied, rich, whatever. By the way, all that is reinforced a thousand times a day in every advertisement, in every, any sort of like thing that is being sold to us you need to be fixed by this thing. You need to fix this by this thing. And so like, we have a lot of unconscious, uh, bias around that, that we never like sat down and said, like, these are the things I believe that there's one right type of body. Like we don't really set up that belief system for ourselves. It's given to us a thousand times a day through all of this messaging that we receive conscious or unconscious. And I think unlearning that and reprogramming all that negative stuff with your new positive stuff is a necessary part. So that means 
that you need to surround yourself with community either in real life or online that is supportive of the journey that you're on to intuitive eating, to joyful movement, to health at every size, all that stuff. Um, you have to stop looking at celebrity culture at, as your media diet and you need to start seeking out images of people who are healthy and happy and look like you. Those are the ways that we start to not only like intellectually accept that like, here's the research and this is what it says. And here's like these concepts that I can understand, but you have to kind of deprogram that subconscious too. And I think those two things were like, that was the way that I got there. I know a lot of pe other people have had that experience too. And so like, that's my secret formula that takes 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's an, you know, it's an unfolding process. Like you it said, is. I think we're, it's just a work in progress and it's linear and it's messy. And, um, we, we take, it's, it's seven steps back and then 13 right. steps forward. And, you know, yeah, it's, and, and we're never done like, you know, mm -hmm. because society isn't going to let up patriarchy isn't going to let up diet culture is always going to be there and it's going to reinvent itself mm -hmm. and it's going to co-opt the language that we use and it's going to sneak up on us and look like a lifestyle change or look like you know healthy clean eating or look like all these different things like we have to watch out because it will adapt and change it's much like I think eating disorder recovery where you're never mm -hmm. like really done. You're always mm -hmm. kind of working on it and we have to continue to like consciously cultivate mm -hmm. that for ourselves that like that community that the images and the, the, the media that we take in and really become critical thinkers and critical consumers of, of all the headlines we read on Facebook and you know, every little thing. And so right. like, you do really have to be more awake and right. sometimes it's really uncomfortable and it feels isolating, but like, you know, ultimately I think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, if I may, I'd love to quote um, something from your website because it okay. really resonated with me. So quote, I also know what it's like to fully inhabit my body to see my body as an ally, my partner in crime, and to accept myself imperfect, flawed, human, and come out on top to live a life without shame or apology. So I think that we all come into this world fully inhabiting our bodies. And I know yep. you, you mentioned this concept of embodied movement and embodiment. Mm -hmm. And then we have all these life experiences, as, as you've so eloquently described, you know, whether it's external messages from others, trauma, whatever the case may be, it's created layer upon layer, and it's mm -hmm. fostered a lot of shame, which I think creates, you know, as a yoga therapist and yoga teacher, I see musculoskeletal patterns in people, you know, for example, depression, and it, you know, it causes this internal rotation of shoulders and weakening of chest muscles. You know, we, we suck in our stomachs, you know, because we're told that, yep. you know, we can't look large in that area. And I think that that leads to a lot of dissociation and, yeah. you know, lack of feeling, lack of, of sensation. And can you talk a little bit, you know, from a yoga perspective, um, how you work with others to help them kind of cultivate this idea of peace within their body? Yeah, you know, I think that um, one thing that I say a lot um, and I talk about in my 
you know, workshops and with my students is that like, I consider my yoga mat to be my ceasefire zone. <laughs> so I think, you know, a lot of the messaging that we receive and, you know, that now beauty companies have co-opted is like, love your body and all this stuff. And I think for a lot of folks, that's a tall order. You know, the, all the things you just mentioned, like trauma and the experiences that we've had have told us that this body is not a safe place to be. And so loving it is so far out of some people's like imagination of where, like what could happen that that is like, that's too much. I think almost I am much more, um, I encourage my students and the folks that I talk to to like come to this place of body neutrality. If you can just spend the time that you're on this yoga mat, like let's say these are the borders of a country that is neutral and a safe haven. There's no war. There's no like, uh, this is the ceasefire zone. You're not going to be self-deprecating or critical. You're just going to show up and have an experience. And then the experience is what it is. Like some days you're going to show up and you're going to feel great and it's going to be easy and all that. And some days it's going to be like pulling teeth to like even like stretch or roll around on the floor a little bit, like with this yoga practice thing. And like, one of those experiences is not better than the other. So for me, I try to encourage an environment of like inquiry with the body instead of trying to achieve a certain thing or, you know, have a good experience. Like it's more like uh, about asking questions and being curious and really getting in touch with what's real and what's going on. So in yoga, there's the concept about like cultivating the witness or witness consciousness. You know, it's one of these first things that we learn when we want to do any sort of like being in the moment, mindfulness, presence kind of stuff. And so the skill is to be able to observe a situation, observe a body, observe a sensation, whatever it is without judgment. So what are the facts? What's actually true for you? physically in this moment or what's true about this situation that's presenting itself in front of you. And we start with the breath, you know, the breath is a very, it's always there. So that's convenient. And it's a very simple sort of neutral thing. Like not a lot of people have like baggage around the way they breathe. Like this isn't something that's a thing. You know what I mean? Like you might have ever like, for instance, like thighs are a very loaded thing, but like breathing really isn't like the, you know, they haven't figured out how to make us feel bad about that one yet. So it's, I find a, a very it's accessible. True. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything. Right. right. <laughs> so I think it's an accessible place for most people to go and really feel what that's like to observe something without judgment and not wrap a story around it and not be so concerned if it's good or bad or right or wrong or better than yesterday or any of that. Cause like, we're always breathing, you know, sometimes we breathe faster or harder or we snore or whatever, but it's not loaded. So we practice that over and over. And I think like, you know, that's a great place to start and understand what that skill feels like. And then you can start to take that observation into other places. Next, we might go to sensation in the body and really observing what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? Like, let's give it a name and let's make sure that we're identifying something that's a real sensation and not an emotion and not a story, right? Like I can touch my thigh right now and say like, 
you know, the fabric of my dress is smooth. My thigh feels warm and soft under my hand. With judgment in the story, it will sound like my thigh is too fat. I need to do something to lose weight. Uh, why is my thigh bigger than her thigh? Like, right? So then the judgment and the comparison comes in, and that's what starts to cause us pain and suffering. So pure experience, you know, being there and being open to, like, what's going to happen on your yoga mat really is if, if you can drop into that, like, I'm just here in the moment. I'm a, a person and a soul and a spirit and a body doing a thing. That's where the magic can start to happen. And we can take those skills that we learn on the yoga mat out into the world. So like when we want to strangle our child because they're acting up, we can take that pause. Like yoga teaches us how to have that pause between like what's happening and our reaction and how we want to respond to it. And so that's when we can really start to take those um, tools that it gives us and like take it into the real world. So instead of screaming at your child, so that might look like, He's throwing a fit. Why is he trying to drive me crazy? Like, he's just doing this to make me mad. I can tell, like, he's doing this to spite me because I made him clean his room or whatever. Instead, that can look like this child is rolling around on the floor screaming, and that's that's it. That's the whole, that's the only observable behavior. Like, without putting a story on it or making it about that you're a bad mother or that this child is trying to annoy you or whatever, right? Then you can create that pause. It's like, hmm. What's happening here? And then decide from a more like integrated place that's probably more in line with the best self that you want to be. Like no one wants to be that person that screams at someone they love, right? So that I think is like one of the biggest things that yoga gives us. And, you know, you can take that into lots of different applications. And one of the, the things that many of the people that I end up, you know, practicing or teaching with want to feel at peace in their bodies they've been they've had enough of this shame they've had enough they're sick of it they're sick of all they don't want to go on their 58th diet they want just to be done with this for once and for all and this tool and this um process that we practice on the yoga mat can then be taken into that like mm -hmm. application and and really moved towards that place of like being able to you know, accept ourselves, um, without judgment. I'm not saying this in a flippant way, like, and then you'll just be able to accept yourself without judgment. Like I said, this has, I'm been working on this for like 15 plus years since I consciously started down this path. And like, I still deal with this stuff all the time. I still go to a yoga class and like feel self-conscious because I'm the only one using props and everybody, you know, in some vinyasa class or whatever, and everybody else is doing something else. I still have these moments all the time of judgment, of shame. And like I said, you know, we have to keep working on it. We have to keep being awake. And really, like, if, if our goal is to get to that place of peace, like, you got to protect the hell out of your peace because everybody is going to try to take that away. Like, society will try to take that away from you. Yeah. Lots of things are happening in the world that are scary and real, but you can like know who you really are. And mm -hmm. I think that's sort of our true nature that we feel when we, mm -hmm. when we reach those moments of, of peace and like that mind chatter quiets down, like that, that feeling of, of equanimity or whatever, right. like that's who we really are, you know? And so I think that's why it's a practice because we got to do it over and over again. So. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's just a lot of self-regulation that mm -hmm. yoga can, uh, you know, 
awaken us to this ability to be in the storm yet not get swept up that's right by it so you know along that same along those same lines of you know really protecting your peace I'm curious if you've ever encountered any objections to your work or if you know you've encountered people who you know have been triggered or resistant to accept the the work you're putting out there and you know if if you you know if so how you've navigated some of those challenges sure there are definitely people that are resistant to my body (laughs) um (laughs) you know i've like had uh lots of street harassment and everything else but that's a pretty common experience for women being a fat lady who publicly puts photos of herself exercising on the internet is certainly something that i've encountered a lot of you know resistance to and these aren't people who are seeking me out these are like this this isn't from my community this is from people on reddit who are in a fat hate group who will then like spam my site or my instagram or whatever for a whole day and so that's annoying that's a distraction and you know i i've been online blogging for a long time so it wasn't the first time that i've encountered this you know if i get featured on buzzfeed or something like I don't read the comments because I know what's in there. And like, you know, I have friends that will be like, Oh my God, I was so mad. Cause I read all those comments on that post about, you And I was just like, just don't that's like rule number one of the internet. So that's how I mitigate that. I disable comments on my YouTube because I realize that like people on YouTube find my stuff who aren't from my community. And there's plenty of people who find me through that, but you know, so there's like little boundaries that I've set to protect myself not in a way that like that stuff hurts my feelings it more makes me angry because I'm just like y'all know what you're talking about but it's sort of a way for me not to get distracted with it the resistance that I run into um, from folks who are sort of seeking what I'm doing if that makes sense like these are people who want to be at peace in their bodies they want to feel better they want to maybe accept themselves or find a better way A lot of times I find resistance around that point we talked about where you still have that magical thinking about being thin and what that will mean for you. So a lot of times that sounds like, you know, when I present the information about health at every size and sort of like what the scientific evidence says about dieting versus um, healthy behaviors and that weight is not a determinant of health, healthy behaviors are, and that you can, you're probably not going to get permanently thin. Like we don't know a way to get people permanently thin, like science. There's no scientific peer reviewed evidence of any way and diets fail 95% of the time, like all that stuff, right? It's a pretty compelling case once it's laid out. And the reaction is not usually like, wow, so there's hope. Like I can really do things that will significantly improve my health that don't have to do with changing my size or shape or weight that aren't punitive. I can still move and eat and all this stuff and I don't have to diet anymore and I can live this full awesome life. Cool. Like that's never the reaction. The reaction is like, don't take my hope away. Like, why are you so mean? Like, don't, what, so you're saying I shouldn't even try and I just have to give up on myself. The reason that that's the reaction is because that thin fantasy thing that we talked about is still there. And you're always going to come up short compared to her because she's not real. Like that's not actually 
a thing that's going to happen. And even if you're thin, even if you do become thin temporarily or permanently, if you're one of those rare five percenters, you're still you like that fantasy is still not anything that's going to happen. So I think for folks to get past that, like I said, it's a big mental block and I've been there. Like I I've experienced that too. So that's really where I run into stuff. It takes time, I think, to come to the place where you can let go of that. And I think, you know, there's like a grieving process there of like, wow, I've really wasted all this time and this energy and this mental capacity on something that was a complete waste of time. I've put my faith in this currency that doesn't actually, it's not actually worth anything. And so for a lot of people, that's very upsetting and it feels like loss. And I get that, like it is loss. You did lose out on that and it's not your fault. This is what was sold to you. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a challenge that I run into sometimes, but like I said, even if they don't get to that place with me or because of whatever workshop they came to, like, I know that's a stop on the journey and that's just, it's part of it, I think. So, yeah. Well, and I just, I mean, I, I'm so inspired by the way you are taking the teachings and practices of yoga, you know, and kind of weaving them, um, into, you know, your work with those who are struggling with these, with these issues, because they're so modern and they're so contemporary. And I mean, ever since I can remember, you know, since about the age when I started to develop, I mean, I, I just have, have had nonstop, just this negative self narrative of, you Mm -hmm. know, that my body isn't, isn't skinny enough or it's too womanly. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I get harassed about my breast size. I get harassed, you know, about, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and just people don't even realize, you know, that the things that they say are, are extremely derogatory and objectifying and, you know, as if I don't know, you know, (laughs) that as if I am not aware of, you know, the size bra that I wear, or, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just so, um, I know that's something that I've always struggled with for a long time as well. And, um, I couldn't be in agreement with you more about the way yoga helps to start with something that's accessible, like Mm -hmm. the breath. If you walked in this room, chances are you're breathing, right? And if, and if you, (laughs) so that's good news. And then, you know, just kind of titrating people and getting them to slowly, slowly become more comfortable with feeling sensation and, and, um, taking that story and putting it, just putting it aside and uh, really kind of unpacking the story and seeing where that story came from and how that story continues, you know, to sort of take us out of our present moment experiences at all times. Yeah. And I love how you've described this image of this, you know, this fantasy that we, we, we want to become but can never quite attain. And even if we did, we would still, at the end of the day, be with the same beliefs and and thoughts and emotional patterns and perceptions and et cetera. Yeah. And you know, the thing that I, I end up saying a lot to folks is like when, you know, we do this type of work or on my blog or whatever, what are the things, you know, we all have this list of stuff that we'll finally do when we're thin, right. When we're kind of stuck in this mentality for some people it's travel for some people it's you know they'll go out and really take the risks and find a partner you know the risk of rejection or whatever and then some people are waiting to start a family or really go forward in their career whatever it is like it looks different for everyone and 
they're really postponing their like real life until the real them shows up. Right. And that's just, you know, that undermines us. You're not on this planet for long, man. You got to get started. And the fact is that like, even if you do, uh, let's say lose a bunch of weight, you're still you and you're still going to have to start this process as you. It is not going to magically be easier because you're in a smaller body. Now, there are some things that smaller bodies definitely have more privilege around and that are easier to do when you're in a smaller body, but you're still going to have to do it. Stop postponing your life. Like you, you, you know, you postponing something like that says that like you're not worth it right now. And you are, like you totally are. There's not some magical worth that's going to be conferred upon you when you're thin. Maybe like there is less stigma, you'll be treated differently by certain, you know, parts of society, things like that. Sure, those are real. But you can like live a cool, awesome, kick-ass life in the body that you have today. And like it's a shame if you're missing out on that because that's what diet culture does. That's what all that stuff that tries to keep us down and keep us in our place and keep us small and scared. It really robs us of the full experience of joy. Don't let that happen. Protect that, that peace and like make, make it happen. Like get take that first step towards whatever that thing is that you've been telling yourself you're not allowed to have. I am here to officially grant you permission. You are allowed to have it. You deserve it. So like, go get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, can you please tell everyone where we can find you, you know, your website, any online offerings, retreats, and I understand you are getting ready to launch a podcast yourself, or maybe you've yeah, already done it. I did. I just put out the first episode. I had a conversation with Jules Mitchell, who's mm -hmm. a biomechanist and another yoga person and we talked a lot about human variability and why that's normal and a lot of fun stuff so yeah podcast is a new thing i'm online at bodypositiveyoga.com and i'm on facebook body positive yoga instagram body positive yoga underscore don't forget that <laughs> underscore i'm on youtube if you search and pinterest but i think that's neglected so don't judge me and um <laughs> So online, uh, there's a couple of things. If you go to my website and click start here, there's a seven day yoga exploration. So there are seven like mini classes that I'll send to you, um, that are free videos. You can keep them and practice with them or just check it out. Um, and then I have a ton of free content on my site. There's a, a self care course that comes to you through email. That's free. Um, tons of videos and some classes and things like that. And then um, if you're interested and, in, you, you know, you try that stuff out, I have a monthly membership site where I post classes every single month. And that actually I'm I just launched that this year and I'm constantly like tweaking and changing the content based on like what the members want. And folks have been asking for a lot more content around like self-acceptance and body image and things. So if this stuff is of interest to you and you want a big side of yoga, that's where you can find it. What else do I have? Oh, and if you're a teacher or an aspiring teacher, I have an online teacher training course with Diane Bondi, who's another teacher from Canada. And we talk about making wellness spaces accessible to marginalized folks and how you can really turn your yoga classroom into a place where everyone is truly welcome and not just lip service. Like everyone is welcome, but you actually are going to set up an environment where they'll feel successful and have a good experience. So we 
Uh, we've run that five times now, I think, since 2015. We run it like twice a year, and it's been really wonderful. And there are yoga for all certified teachers all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going on a tour. I'm touring all over like the Midwest. I'm going to be on the road for like a month. Wow, so, that's amazing. Yeah, so every town is a little bit different as to like what we're offering. So some is a class and some we're doing a whole weekend full of workshops. So like check out my events page, just bodypositiveyoga.com slash events. Everything is there. And I have a lot of free live online stuff as well. So that'll all be listed there too. So mm-hmm. lots of stuff going on. Yeah, <laughs> you can spend hours on your website. I've actually <laughs> spent a long time and I did, you know, I did the self-care, the the offering. I thought it was wonderful. And I get your newsletters and I'm on your email list. And so um, I just, you know, I think what you're, putting out into the world is is just beautiful and inspiring and you know just giving us ways to manage some of these modern day challenges through these ancient teachings mm-hmm. I am one of my, my yoga teacher Yoganan Michael Carroll he's up uh, in Kripalu so I was trained in the Pranakriya tradition and he always said you know he would teach us a lot of these you know kind of practices from you know the um you know the pradipika or these really ancient texts and they were really just these postures that you know my body could couldn't do and um he always would say don't worry because these were practiced by skinny little men living in caves yeah <laughs> i say that a lot i would be like yoga was designed for skinny teenage indian boys they were the ones that were first like you know, the, the yoga we know today and right, right. I'm like, it just wasn't designed for your body. So that's okay. We just adapt the practice right. to fit us. We right. don't the body. Body's not the problem. So. Right. And really, if you backtrack even further, you know, the Upanishads, you know, they tell us that yoga traditionally was meditation and pranayama. There was, yeah. there weren't any postures that was right. very much a Western European influence. Yep. So, um, well, thank you so much for your time. I am just so grateful and I am so grateful to have been able to connect with you in this way. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Amber. (laughs) Take care. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Well, that is our show for today. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Like I said, it was a very meaningful topic to me for as long as I can remember going all the way back to my early adolescence and early teenage years, I struggled so much with body image related issues. I continue to struggle with them. Most of my friends struggle with them. So many people I know are very focused on how to make themselves look better or, you know, how we can change our appearance or how we can be skinnier or how we can be prettier, younger, whatever it is. And one of the things that I love most about the teachings of yoga is that it teaches us that we carry our own wholeness and capacity for peace and connection to the divine and our own light and our in our healing inside of us all the time. Those are what we would call our in, inner resources. And it's tough living in the culture that we live in. We live in a really harsh sort of non-permissive society. Um, there isn't a whole lot of permission to just be what what you are and who you are and I and although I think we're getting better and there's a lot of really wonderful movements out there to sort of help evolve our way of thinking and to just sort of 
allow us to collectively transform to just a higher level of of awareness and and acceptance of one another. I I still think that we have a long way to go, many miles to travel. So if you would like to get in touch with Amber, like I said, I'm going to drop all of her information in the show notes below. So you'll have her website, her her online interactive community, um, the Body Positive Clubhouse that she has. Um, so you'll be able to connect with her also on Facebook and Instagram. And I really encourage you to reach out to her. She's a wonderfully personable human being. She's a lovely, lovely yogi. And I encourage you to, to reach out to her. Again, if you or your loved one is in need of any kind of support, the following um, toll-free numbers are all listed in the show notes as well. This week, I have also included the National Association for Eating Disorders helpline, and so I really encourage you to use those if they are needed. And if you liked what you heard today, please, I would be so grateful if you could write a review or leave a rating in iTunes. Believe it or not, that really helps to push the podcast kind of up in, in iTunes just way of ranking things, and it really helps people to find it. Um, you can connect with me also through Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Ancient Tools for Modern Living, and on Facebook, Ancient Tools for Modern Living, the podcast has its own page. And if you have a question or a comment, I would, I would, I would love it if you would reach out to me. Um, my email is Zipporah, T-Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H, at innerskytherapeutics.com, and we can talk. So again, I'm going to say it again. I say it all the time. Don't sit and suffer by yourself. Don't sip, suffer in silence, okay? Reach out, get the help that you need. And always remember that you carry your own capacity for light, peace, and wholeness inside of you all the time. Love and light. Namaste. Namaste.